0: This is the S-Ra podcast. And we're talking John Beck versus Danny Dignum. We're talking Dave Benavides versus David Lemieux. We're talking how we look at uh, A-side matchups, right? If you're just gonna have a matchup that's A side versus a guy that's you know uh not known, not at the level that the A-side is, you know, what is what should be the promotion strategy for that? And we're talking about positioning that the you're gonna see in a lot of divisions. Um, and the rankings people, uh, promotions positioning their top guys for titles that are going to soon be dropped. So this is what we're talking about today, but let's start off with Jenna Beck versus Danny Dignam. Um, and oddly, similarly, uh, oddly similar to the David Benavides versus Dave Lemieux, even though Dave Lemieux, I think much more known than Danny Dignam, uh, with Janet versus Digham, Janet is even really that known. I would say David Lemieux is probably known more than Janet Beck, uh, and it might stay that way for for a while. With Jenna Beck, who I think and I've been really high on. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, which is at as raw podcast, you will know that. You know, it's 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 kind of at that point now. where like. It's borderline people think I'm trolling, right? And it's turned into that a little bit. Sometimes, like I said, it's blurred lines between whether I'm trolling or really believe the things I'm saying. It's blurred lines. Sometimes I don't even know what side I'm really on. But with Janet Beck, it all started from a statement where I said I think this guy could be the best middleweight we have right now. I think he could be the best middleweight, most talented middleweight in the division. Now I said he needed to prove it, so that's just me on uh, basically going off the eye test that I think he could be, but doesn't mean he is. Doesn't mean I can even make the argument that he is. Doesn't mean make I can make the argument that really he's top three. I can't make that argument because he hasn't proven anything yet. But I just saying off the eye test of what I've known and from what my knowledge of boxing and my you know, years of uh, training it and all these things from what I see from his skill set, I'm just not seeing at least the separation from the top three guys, which you're talking about Demetrius Andrade, uh, Golovkin at this point, and Charlo. I'm not seeing a massive, you know, um, massive distance and skill and talent from Janet Beck. I just wasn't seeing that. And I was saying that I wouldn't be surprised if he was the best one from the guys. Now, Demetrius Andrade fights guys at the level of Danny Jacob all the time and he goes to decision with them. I mean that's just that's just the 100% a fact, right? He goes to decision with these guys. Now maybe he wins lopsided, yes, but he he goes to decisions with these guys all the time and as the performance goes on it gets worse. Now he did finally get a stoppage, right? Uh in his last opponent which was a C level opponent and he got a lot of credit for that. And people were saying, Look, at, he's, he, he's finished the fight here, right? He's like, he proved that he could finish a fight. And it's like, really? No, he just got to the skill level that of an opponent that he could actually finish, right? And maybe you think Dignum is the same guy as the guy that Andra- uh, Andrade beat, whose name, you know, escapes me right now. And maybe he is, right? But the thing is, it's not like Jenebeck can pick this guy. He was just the next guy in the rankings to get Jenebeck up to a title shot so no one could dodge him. So they would become a mandatory. So when they say you have to fight this guy or you drop the belts, right? Which Demetrius Andrade is most likely going to do because Genepic is his manager will be his mandatory now and he doesn't want to fight Jenebeck, uh, and it's not just because of Jenebeck's skills, right? Which, it's a, a part of it, but it's not just because that's not like, oh, he, did, uh, uh, Demetrius Andrade, and I'm being 100% accurate here. I mean, I'm being 100% honest here. Demetrius Andrade, I don't think he's scared of Beck. I think that he doesn't want to face Jenebeck, who is a very skilled opponent, very dangerous, for the amount of money that he's going to get to fight Beck. Okay, so Demetrius Andrade is used to decent paydays, and if this especially if this goes to a purse bid, he is not gonna get those paydays to fight Janet Bank. So it's high risk, low reward, low cash, which is the most important thing, other than low reward, right? Like I don't think the low reward I think that's overstated sometimes. I think if people would pay people uh like if you look at Floyd Mayweather, I mean he just had an exhibition uh exhibition fight against a sparring partner and you know, there was no reward for that. That was just high cash, right? So that's really, I mean, it's cash. People say reward. It's really just cash. So Dimitri no, Andre is not going to fight Janet Beck because the cash isn't there to have that fight. So I'm not going to say he's a coward or anything like that. Is he going to duck Janet Beck? Yes, but it's because of financial reasons. I'm 100% honest. I'm not trying to put down Demetrius Andrade I'm not going to be one of those guys that now suddenly because I'm back in a that everybody's afraid of him and no one really wants to fight him no they don't want to fight these guys because it's all usually in a business sense why they don't want to fight these guys so Janabek is just eliminating a guy to get himself in position to force Demetrius Andrade to either fight or vacate the belt and what does he do and he does exactly what you're supposed to do and so does David Benavides they did exactly what they're supposed to do with that level opponent they didn't play with their food they finished him. They did it in a devastating fashion. That's what Janet Beck did. And that stole you know, that caught a lot of people's attention. Now Janet Beck is more known than he was going in before that fight, he is known after. And that's because of the performance he had. And now people really want to know how good he really is. Because if he was to have a long drawn out fight with Dignum, people would have judged him right there for not being the guy that I said he was, right? Or the guy that um uh, Buddy McGurk said he is. The guy that top rank is trying to tell you that he is. He went in there and he showed that he was levels above this guy and it looked it. There was never a point in this fight. I mean, he was even feinting him and breaking his ankles which just feints. He's a superior fighter to this guy. I, I knew that going in. If you um, you know, listen to my last podcast, I, I kind of run over it. He's just a superior guy, a superior talent to the, the man he was fighting. And that guy needed a more, you know, he has a more basic style that works at like a local level in, um, Europe, but as you know, you get to this top level, you got to have different elements to your game and different, and at least things that you're elite at ability wise, he has, doesn't have any of those. And Janet Beck has a few of those, right. And especially with his timing, his positioning, the way he could fight from a lot of, um, all three levels to me from all three spaces from inside mid range and, uh, out outside range. I think he could do all those things. Um, I think he's a very talented fighter. I think he has some good pop, especially, you know, in his left hand, is he a little bit of a you know, um, a little bit of a one punch fighter? It's kind of. He kind of punches for one hand most of the time. That's where most of his offense comes, but he does have a decent jab as well. And he was had the check hook on this fight. He was another little skill that he was adding, so he's still getting better. I thought he did exactly what he was supposed to do. I think he got a lot of attention from that fight and from what that performance looked like. And now they're gonna use uh you know these promoters aren't the most creative. Uh, I'll I'm be, I'm be honest, they're not the most creative, right? So now everybody's going to say he's the boogeyman, right? This is what happens. We can't get no fights because financially it doesn't make any sense for anyone to really fight you. You become the boogeyman. That's what the boogeyman means. You become the boogeyman and that's the, the tactic they're going to use for him that he's the boogeyman. No one's fighting. Everybody's afraid of his skill and all that when really it's just no money there, but that's fine. That's That's the right way probably to go with this. Right, so then you're gonna keep feeding guys to him, and he'll probably have you know, he'll be a guy that kind of cleans out the rankings because it's just gonna be like next man up, it's to be another European fighter who needs an opportunity, right? And will fight Jennebeck, and then Jennebeck will knock him out until he can, you know, put I don't know what position he could put himself in to get a big fight. He might, uh, you know, someone had mentioned on Twitter, uh, Ubank. Maybe I don't, I can't see that. I, to me, it seems like they're kind of protecting Eubank, especially the, that promotion because it doesn't have a lot of fighters. Eubanks is one of the guys that kind of based that promotion off of right now. That's a, kind of one of their main guys. So I can't see Eubank doing it to me personally. But I will go over if the middleweight bouts are dropped, which they could be dropped soon. I'll go over why that is and what that would look like if they were dropped. But let, let's go to Dave Benavides fight versus Dave Lemieux. And Dave Benavides is the man that um I, I think, you know, a majority of people want to see Canelo fight next at 168. Uh, A lot of people may claim that he's, you know, this is the man that Canelo has to beat to prove he's the best man at 168. My opinion on that is I it couldn't be more wrong because this man has never proved that he's any even a contender at 168. If we're being 100% honest, he's never beaten anyone to sh- really show that he is... A top dog at 168. Now, I think an eye test, which a lot of people use, and I understand that I use that sometimes, too. I don't use it for my rankings or to say this guy's the best of all the guys, right? Like, I say maybe he could have the, 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 the talent to be that, right? Like, maybe if someone told me he could have the talent to be the best guy at 168, I would take that. But if you're going to tell me that Canelo has to beat him to prove he's the best guy at 168, I'm sorry, but he would have to beat someone to prove that he's in that talks of being the best guy in 168. Canelo already proved his point. He cleared out the thing. Whether you like the guys he cleared it out or not, he cleared them out. They were the ones that had the belts. And it's funny because we respect the belts uh, only when our, our favorite fighters get them, right? So I don't respect the belts ever. I don't care about the belts. I don't care about any of that. But if Canelo's playing that game but going undisputed, right, he had to beat all the four guys with the belts. He beat the four guys with the belts. During that time, David Benavides didn't fight anyone. During that time, that's basically the only guy. Because if we see people saying, Jamal Charlo. Jamal Charlo's not even in that weight class. Okay, He's 160 pounds. And in that time, he didn't even fight anyone in the 160 pounds. It was worth noting. Okay, so. Yes, when Canelo comes back, David Benavides is there. That's the only guy really left. He got morale, but he's only has a few fights. I don't know what they're doing with him. I don't know if they would take a Canelo fight right now. I don't know what Canelo would get out of fighting morale right now. But. Right now, it seems like Dave Benavides is the guy. If Jamal Charles moves up, then that would also be another worthy, you know, uh, opponent for Canelo. I would like to see those fights. But Dave Benavides is just kind of working to make sure he's in position. So when Canelo comes back, they have to fight each other. So he fights Dave Lemieux, who was, uh, you know, next in the ranking for the, I guess, mandatory spot for uh, Canelo. And Dave Lemieux, who really all success comes from 160. And It wasn't much success there. And he had some like, uh, you know, s- some losses that were just really um, not high level, like besides Golovkin, but like Rubio beating him was like a big surprise. And he's a guy that really depends on his power. He's not a guy that you really expected much from even in the middleweight. So going to 168, you I, it was definitely not much back from him. But I got to give him credit. You know, everything he said he was going to do and and try to do to win this fight, and he definitely went in with a mentality to win the fight. And I don't think he ever dropped that mentality, even in the fight when nothing was going good for him and he was getting hurt. He still went in there and was looking for his big left hook to change the whole night. And one thing I said going into this fight is that they were both going to get the position they wanted in this fight. They were were both looking for a certain position, and they were both going to give it to each other to try to, uh, you know, apply their best techniques and best positioning and best punches to win this fight. Dave Benavides is just bigger, fresher, more in his prime, more physically talented at 168 than Dave Lemieux, and more physically talented than Dave Lemieux has ever been in his career. Dave Benavides looked special in that uh, performance, and he did exactly what Janet Beck did. He did what he was supposed to do to that level of opponent. Now, I don't think Canelo's next for David Benavides, right? I think Canelo has two more fights in him. So David Benavides, I don't think, he's going to wait a whole year and then might have to wait some months after that if Jamal uh, Jamal gets the Canelo fight before him. So now there's talks of David Benavides fighting Jamal Charlo or Caleb Plant. Either one of those fights I'd be very good with. Okay, I think that that would be uh, excellent news for the super middleweight division. I think it'd be excellent news for Canelo because now when he goes back to fight one of them, it'll be really juiced up with one of them, the winner coming out and fighting Canelo. Dave Benavides, though, of everything I, you know, I say and uh, said negative, I don't really say, I think I said negative about him. I've kind of just stated facts of that he hasn't really beat anyone. Um, he definitely does have the look of being something really special. And I test alone, you know, you could make an argument that this guy has the skills and ability to be the best guy in 168. Now, Right now, just judging from what I've seen and what I've studied both guys, I would pick Canelo to win that fight because I also think, similar to Dave Lemieux, Canelo is going to be where he wants to be in this fight. Now, will David Benavides be able to push back Canelo and get him to, to work off his back foot, which we've seen Canelo struggle with doing, and is not a, a style that he wants to consistently do in a fight? Possibly, right? But he's not, even though he's a big guy, he's not big, right? He's not the solid 175-er. And I understand that he makes 168, but goes up, and he's very tall and very long, but he doesn't have that kind of strength. I really don't believe that. I've seen people push him back, uh, just physically, like physically push him and get him off his spot. Now, I think his speed and power and all that's excellent, but I just think that he's going to give Canelo a lot of what he wants to see, and Canelo will be able to counter him. Um, and I think that at some points Canelo will be able to push him back, but I do want to see that fight. I do think that's a great fight. I do that think that could be, you know, as long as it lasts a fight of the year candidate, just because what both guys are doing, they're both going to stay in range. They're both going to look to counter off each other's shots. There'll be good speed, good power. It's 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 really a per, uh, picture perfect fight. And I think it's really building up to be something special. Uh, you know, when you make these fights, which what's most important is the pre-fight grade. It's more important than the post-fight grade, right, of how good the fight was. The hype for the fight is what's the most important thing. That's what the promoter gets paid to do. That's what his whole job is. That's that's how they make their money is the the pre-fight hype. And I think that right now with Dave Vanavides is building up and how he looks and his ability is making him and Canelo fight getting to the level of like A plus uh, pre-fight hype. And especially if he gets a big win against Caleb Plant or Charlo or whoever he fights next. Or just keeps looking devastating as he did against Lemieux. People are going to be really pumped for this fight. Now, Canelo losing also kind of benefits that. I think everyone in 168, the matchups, because it makes Canelo look um, not as far, far from the package he looked before. He looks very beatable now, right? Especially how Bavol Bo- Bo- beat him. And I don't think that, you know, casual fans or anything like that are really weighing in like, oh, the size difference or, you know, it's just those things like that, little things like that. I don't think there they are. They're just like, hey, he lost. Right? He's beatable now. Right, In their mind, when you were thinking of him, you were thinking like, well, I haven't seen him lose in a long time. Right, lost to Floyd Mayweather, but that's Floyd Mayweather. Um, and he's ran through everyone at 168 that he's fought so far. But now and then, you start questioning those wins. This is what happens when you lose. Everything you've done before now goes into question. Right, It's under a microscope. And when you go into these fights now Dave Benavides people are going to be able to make a case that Dan Benavides can win and the odds will be cl- closer and the perception is this will be a very competitive fight which it could very well be but I don't think that, that would have been the perception if he would have went straight to those uh, Jamal, Charlo and Benavides next and never fought before I don't think that would have been the perception and I think that this now helps sell the fight that it's actually a winnable fight for Benavides that it's actually a winnable fight for Charlo in, most people, in a lot of people's eyes. I want to talk about, you know, the matchmaking, right? And on both of these, it's not the promoter's fault. They just kind of fought the next guy in the rankings that was next to their fighter. But the result led to a thing that what I said before, there was a complaint about the Canelo undercard and the people were saying it was very boring undercard. And I said that the problem was, is the promoter's trying to make interesting competitive matchup. And I think that's a flaw. I think that you shouldn't be trying to make interesting competitive matchups unless you have names on the undercard. If you're going to just try to highlight a fighter, one specific fighter, why don't you put him in there with a guy that is literally a can that you could get a highlight reel stoppage over. And that's kind of what happened here. Now, like I said, the promoters didn't choose these opponents. They were just kind of next in the rankings. But it ended up being that, right? It ended up being a guy that Beck was going to run through and get a highlight reel stoppage. Benavides being Lemieux, was, it ended up being a highlight reel stoppage for Benavides. And that's how everybody talked about. They didn't talk about the one-sidedness of the fight. They didn't talk about the mat, bad match. They just talked about, like, look at how devastating they look. And that's what these undercards should look like on these mega fights where you can't really afford... You know, high level names or uh, two high level names versus each other give me the guy you're trying to build and put a tomato can in front of him and let him light him up I promise you the casuals will not know the difference the true boxing fans won't really complain and they just will have a highlight to look at, it'll be entertaining for however long it lasts and the next day you'll have YouTube views, you'll have uh, reposted on Twitter, that's all everybody will talk about how devastating they look because that's all everybody's talking about today is how devastating Jenebeck and Benavis looked yesterday so that's all these mega pay-per-views with these mega events where you have the big names. Give me the guys you're trying to build, put them against cans, and let them look devastating. It works. It's a proven method. That's what you should do. I think the PBC is catching on to this. When they did uh, Gamboa versus Valenzuela, and they did Isaac Cruz versus um no, I'm sorry, Vargas versus Valenzuela, and Isaac Cruz versus Gamboa. That's basically what that was, right? That was to get the highlight, real stoppages, and to get, um, you know, buzz going, right? Like, look at that! Did you see the stoppage this guy had right now? The, and the stop, and how great he looked, and how devastating he looked, and how unstoppable he looked. It's, it's all perception. That's what it created. Right now, Janibek is a legit. Now everybody thinks he's a legit threat at middleweight, and really for fighting Diggum, right? He wasn't even the best guy he's fought so far, but just because how devastating he looked against him. And you people never even see them fight and they probably don't think any they don't think highly of him at all. But yet because they seen him get slept and killed by Janet now they think higher of Janet. Perception. That's all it is. And you don't have to overthink it. I meant to pull this out when uh, talking about Janet and my man David Benavides. Who, you know, I've been called a hater against David Benavides, but it's not the case. I just gotta make the argument, you know, when we get too far. With These arguments are like, oh, he might be the best guy at 168. He's got to prove it, he can't just say that, right? He's got to beat Canelo, who I think you know clearly has a crown at 168. And at least if you're gonna make that argument, he's got to make a case for you, right? He's got to be a kid to the plant, smoke him worse than Canelo did, or smoke Charlo, or you know, run through a guy that's actually you know a top guy at the weight class. You can't just do that from you know beating cans. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna allow it. I mean, we've got to be realistic here. And I test I be damned. There's a reason they have the fights. I didn't want to talk about the positionings for the belts. And the reason I'm talking about, there's a middleweight uh, title. Let me get that one first. No, all right, the middleweight title. Um, there's four of them, and they could all be dropped very soon. Uh, Golovkin's going to go fight Canelo, looks like next. Moved on 168. That could very well be his last fight. Most likely, he'll drop his belt. Boxing rankings real quick so I can look at the right stuff. Okay, so Golepko most likely drop the WBA in the IBF if he you know retires or at least stops fighting at middleweight. Demetrius Andrade, who would have to fight Jennebeck next, most likely to me is going to drop that and go to 168 and go to the PBC and fight, you know, uh Dave Ben Caleb Plant, Plant, getting that whole mix with Charlo, right? So he I think he'll drop his belt. Jamal Charlo might be moving up to fight Canelo, right? He's got one more fight that's happening in middleweight against Selecki. I think he might be dropping to go fight Canelo and staying in 168, where that's, you know, all the names are at right now for the PBC. So, in that case, right, what happens? So, if you go to the WBO first, Jaime Maguia would be next. I think Jaime Magia versus Janebeck. I think Jaime Magia. Doesn't take that fight, which has been kind of his uh, MO going uh, for his career, right? So I think he doesn't take that fight. You have Jennebeck, Danny Dignam, who just lost, so will drop. Chris Eubank, I don't think he's going to take the Jennebeck fight because he's ranked higher in other ones. Carl Adomis, I don't believe, will take the fight. So Falco, which would make a lot of sense because they're both with uh, top rank, I still don't think he takes that fight because he's ranked number one with the IBF. I think that leaves Felix Cash, I think Felix Cash does take that fight. And I think they even, uh, Matro wouldn't even mind if that goes to a purse bid and uh, Felix Cash, you know, going to top rank for that fight and, you know, getting a decent payday for it. I don't think they mind that at all. I think Jaime Monkey versus Felix Cash makes a lot of sense. We go to the IBF. Now Falco is number, ranked number one here. He's going to take that opportunity. And I think you go to number two here versus Sarafa, the Australian. And I think that that fight is made on top rank and top rank would be able to, you know, at least be the favorite in two matchups to grab two middleweight straps, right? So the winner of these could face each other. You go to the WBC, Adamus, this is where he takes his chance. And you have Jaime Mongia. I think it was for Jaime Mongia would take this fight as well. I think that's a, not an insane matchup. I think Jaime Munguia has definitely, you know, been protected. Favorable matchups, not a lot of options as well, but him versus Carlos Adames makes a lot of sense. It's a fight that could have happened next, but uh, Jaime Magia pulled out. So I don't know what that's going to do with his rankings. The fact that he didn't take that final number. So maybe Jaime Magia gets stepped over by Eubanks or Marauders like that, who's coming off a loss of But I would just say Jaime Magia versus Adames makes a lot of sense. It's an excellent matchup. It's probably going to be the best matchup all the middleweight fights we're going to talk about right now then you got chris eubank for wba i think that hi monkey is like i said taking the wbc one and that puts us in an interesting spot with sergio martinez and that's it's right it's that sergio martinez right the middleweight king for years ago one of my favorite fighters of all time sergio martinez at like 45 years old i'm guessing 46 years old right number three Jaime is out chris eubank jr I think this is a decent sized fight. I think that a lot of people have a lot of interest on Sergio Martinez looking to get grab another world title at, at this point of his age at middleweight. And I think the boxer would pay a lot for this. I think ESPN would be interested in having this fight. I think you would get Chris Eubank Jr. Who's been protected and, you know, they're trying to match him up correctly. And you can't get no better advantages than a guy out of his prime who's had bad legs and, Last time he was faced elite level, was got destroyed, you know, at least or just a high level fighter against Miguel Cotto completely destroyed. So, Hugh Banks versus Sergio Martinez is very possible for the WBA. So, that's how this will break down if all these guys drop the belts, which I imagine a lot of these guys can drop the belts soon. In another weight class where this is very possible, is at 147 pounds, welterweight, because I believe Crawford and Spence are going to fight each other next. And I believe the winner will become undisputed. And I don't think there's any reason for them to stay unless they're going to fight a guy like Boots or Virgil Ortiz or Keith Thurman. But I don't think that. I think that both these guys are going to move up win or lose after maybe two fights, right? So if they... If they um, leave, right, all the bouts get dropped. How does that play out? So we go to the WBO. Now, the WBO would have... Boots because I don't I think uh, I think Ortiz who's ranked higher in other promotions will not step up to this fight so I think we got Boots I think Conor Benn went back away I think Keith Thurman went back uh, would back away and I think McKinson who was supposed to fight Virgil Ortiz uh, in a one versus five match over Virgil Ortiz had to pull out because he got sick I think he would take that fight and take that chance against Boots Ennis and then you go to the IBF for Boots is number three and he just beat Castillo Clayton so he would be top dog. but he's taken already the WBO route then you go to Virgil Ortiz, IBF. Virgil Ortiz is uh, ranked higher in another promotion. I mean, another uh, belt. I don't think he'll take this fight. I think he gets to Connor Ben, and Connor Ben fights I- Ivan Galope. And I think Galope has a fight coming up, so this could change the rankings a little bit with this fight coming up. But right now, as the five and. You know, remember, Cusco Clay just lost, so he's going to drop more. But Ben versus uh, Galope. Makes a lot of sense. It's a fight that I think they probably feel confident that Ben could win. Uh, both guys uh, from like Eastern, you know, from Europe or Eastern Europe. I, I think it's just a fight that, um, it's a fight that Matro would feel very comfortable to make and get a banner title around his uh, waist. Then you go to the WBC. and It's the one I think uh, Virgil Ortiz takes versus David Avanesian. Now there is one thing as I've heard rumors that David Avenesian will be next for Virgil Ortiz. So maybe... They won't be ranked number two by the time these belts are dropped, but let's just say if they were dropped right now, you see Virgil Ortiz versus David Amnesia, which isn't a bad fight. Uh, Abnesia's kind of been built as a guy that people kind of seem don't want to face. Like I said, it's probably more of a money thing than anything else, and it's probably a very, uh, you know, maybe some risk, low reward type of situation. It's just not a big name. Abnesia's not a big name, and nor do I think he's some kind of boogeyman of this of weight glasses. I do imagine, I've heard rumors I said this fight's next. So it wouldn't surprise me. If not, this for the title, I'm pretty sure Golden Boy would 100% take that for the WBC belt. So th- he goes leads us to WBA, right, who has Stan Yonis, who's, you know, has of some form of this belt uh, because he won the tournament and beat Butev. He's waiting for his shot. He's not going to get Earl Spence Jr., doesn't look like. The, you know, nothing's going to get away with Crawford Spence Jr. So, standing onus will wait for the belt to drop. He'll become the official champion and maybe uh, fight, what do I have on here? Keith Thurman. If Keith Thurman's going to take a chance at a belt, right, at a uh, any belt, it wasn't going to be Boots, it'd be standing Onis. And then they could position themselves for the winner to fight Boots, right? And then they could unify those belts. So, this is, you got to watch these things. Um, I'm not a big fan of the belts. I'm not a big fan of you know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, watch the, you know, the ranking system and all that's kind of all nonsense, right? It's like, it's funny because, you know, these matches we just saw this past weekend, people were complaining and that was because of the ranking system, right? Over the belts. But you have to watch this because this allows you to see, you know, maybe future matchups or how these guys are going to be positioned or maybe not the chances these guys are willing to take because they're already in the top two spots, right? And why would they take a major chance and lose that spot right before the belts get dropped and not even have to face a Terrence Crawford or Earl Spence to win the belt? Those little things are very important. So you have to pay attention to them. And I imagine that these belts, there's a good chance these belts get dropped soon, especially with a lot of the, um, when it comes to welterweight with the undisputed, there's really no chance for, there's really no uh, sense to keep it undisputed at that point, right? Why are you going to keep paying the sanctioning fees? And at middleweight, I just think that there's no fights at middleweight. to happen, and these guys can't fight each other, so they're all going to end up going to 168, which is very interesting because absolutely nothing was figured out at 160. Hopefully the the new crop can, you know, we can get a position where they're all under the same, um, Promotion, these guys can actually make the fights, unlike uh, what Match was able to do with Golovkin, Canelo, Andrade. Couldn't make any of these fights, or Mangia. Couldn't do anything with them. What a waste, because there were some really great matchups in there, but let's see how it plays out going forward. Thank you guys for listening. Please like and subscribe. Like I said, I'm on Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Uh, follow my Instagram at Ezra Podcast, Twitter at Ezra Podcast. And also on Facebook at Ezra Podcasts. Uh, like I said, please like, review, all those good things. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.